0: good morning fellowship Fayetteville my name is Ryan this is John we are going to continue our acoustic July and so just two of us up this morning our hope is that you'll all engage in singing you sing these songs that you be encouraged to hear each other's voices um, and that you respond in worship in that so together let's stand and let's let's sing songs of praise this morning
1: i yeah. So precious, oh precious, is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain known. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do oh, the blood of Jesus is enough for me. Oh, the blood of Jesus is enough. See it again, church. All the and oh, the blood. Do the blood. Hope and peace. This is all my hope and peace. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious soul. Is the flow that makes me white as snow? No other fountain, oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, so oh, precious is the flow that. White as snow, no other I know, oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus.
0: Amen. Church, you can have a seat.
2: Well, hey, fellowship, so great to see y'all all all here this morning. My name's Michael. I serve on the community team here. I want to ask everybody in here, go ahead and take out your phone. Go ahead and pull it out. I know it feels weird to take your phone out in church, and you're thinking, well, he's just going to tell us to silence it. No, I know you know that you're already supposed to silence your phone. I'm actually about to hit you with a whole bunch of QR codes, and one of them may be something that you want to hit with your phone, and it'll be gone before you get it out. So get your phone out, open the camera app, here we go. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I especially wanna welcome those of you who are visiting with us, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been here a few times, but you're still just kinda checking us out. You can hit that QR code on the screen with your phone. Give us a little info, we'd love to follow up with you. You can also drop by the community booth. I'll be out there between services. I'd love to just meet you, maybe answer any questions you have about fellowship. Well, you're joining us at a great time because we are gearing up for all the different ministry opportunities we're going to have around here this fall. And the best way to stay in the know about all of that is to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week there's an email that goes out and it recaps what we talk about on Sunday, but it also lets you know what's ongoing and what's coming up. So if you're not a subscriber, hit that QR code, put your email address in there. That's a great way to stay caught up. The main thing I want you to know about, of course, is community groups. Community groups will be launching in September. Again, you can go to this QR code. If you don't know what you're gonna do for community this fall, if you wanna look at the studies, if you wanna sign up and let us help you find a group, you can hit that QR code. All that information is on there. We're excited about community groups starting up here before long. Ladies, of course, We'll have our Tuesday women's studies. You can see the choices on the screen there. There'll be daytime and nighttime studies. Childcare is available. You can hit that QR code to get signed up. We want to help you get in a small group with some other women so you can make some connections. Something that applies to all of us, no QR code on this one, is we're changing the time of our second service. That won't affect most of y'all. If you worship at nine, it'll still be at nine. We're gonna start the second service a little bit later at 1045 so we can get y'all's cars out of the parking lot and get their cars into the parking lot. That'll start on August 13th. So three weeks from today, just so you know, that second service will start just a little bit later. And then Clark talked about this last Sunday. This is really cool. We're about to have two weeks where we have an east side worship service. It's going to be a family service at the Hill School on crossover on August 20th and 27th. And so all you Eastsiders, we are going to ask you to register. Just let us know you're coming. So we'll make sure we have enough chairs, parking spots, and coffee. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by parishes. As you know, a couple of years ago, we organized our community groups into parishes that correspond to the school zones. So, if you live in Butterfield, Root, Asbell, Leverett School attendance zones, we're going to invite you to join us at 9 o'clock on those two Sundays over at the Hill School for a time of family worship. Get to see people in your parish worship together. Get some vision for what the Lord's doing in your parishes. Then at 10:45. New time, 1045, we're gonna invite the rest of East Fayetteville, so that'll be our East Springdale Parish, all of Vandergriff, Happy Hollow, Washington, all the way out to Elkins, 1045 on those two Sundays. I know you've probably got questions. There's more information on the website. You can catch me at the community booth. I'd love to answer any questions you have. Here's the vision. For East Fayetteville, in your parishes, to have a vision to reach your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the kids who go to school with your kids for Jesus, and at the same time, to free up some seats in here for two of our biggest Sundays of the year so we can welcome new families, welcome college students, so that people can hear the gospel. That's what we're all about, making more room for more people to know Jesus. I'm excited about it. I hope you're excited about it. I'm excited to continue to worship this morning, Ryan. Yeah, amen.
0: That's exciting stuff. Um, and so hopefully uh, you're, you're making plans to do that already. I'm, I'll be there the first service, Clark and I, and so I'm looking forward to that. Hey, uh, this morning, I want to kind of start us out with, with something that is, we don't normally do here. I grew up at Southern Baptist Church, and almost every week we had what was called a special, okay? Raise your hands if you, if you grew up in churches with specials. Okay, okay, some of you. I promise that's not what this is, but it's going to be as close as we get to a special. Um, it's going to be more of a, a, a singover. Um, I think that uh, this, song, this song has really blessed me the past couple of weeks. I think it's going to set up our teaching um, pretty well. So here in just a little bit, um, Garland's going to teach us about what it, what it means to follow Jesus. We've been learning about it um, this whole year, really, um, but we're going to dig more into it. We're going to see what it looks like, what it means that we give up. And, and I find myself asking the question, what is, why do we even want to follow Jesus? What about Jesus, what about Yahweh is attractive? What pushes us to follow him? And so I think it's a lot of the characteristics of Christ uh, that push us to, to following him. It's his goodness, it's his faithfulness to us, it's his kindness. And so this song is, about one of those things that's about his kindness and so i hope it ministers to you this might be it's not a corporate worship song i wouldn't consider it a corporate worship song which is why i'm kind of leaning into this idea of more of a special um so we might this might be the only time that we sing it um uh, but i but i do think that um it's going to be helpful for a lot of us and so let's sing it mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes marriages divorce. Sometimes babies die. Sometimes rehab turns to relapse, and you're left just asking why. And for all the prayers I've prayed, I still wonder if he's real. And if he is, how is he choosing who he does and Doesn't? i tried to run from Jesus, I've started holy war. I've tried the patient waiting in the kicking down the doors. I've cursed his name in anger with my fist raised to the sky. In return, all he's ever been, is come. I've burned my share of bridges Learned to tuck my tail and run Watch the wreckage in the rear From all the crooked things I've done And I know that He forgives me But it's hard to forgive myself Can't help but think amazing graces For everybody tried to run from Jesus, I've started holy wars, I've tried the patient waiting in the kicking down the doors, I've cursed his name in anger with my fist raised to the sky, and in return, all he's ever been. That's what kindness calls i tried to run from Jesus I've started holy wars I've tried to pace waiting In the kicking down All he's ever been is kind All he's ever been Your faithfulness stretches to the sky stand together. Let's continue to worship. And I will lift my voice To worship you, my King And I will find my strength In the shadow of your ring oh, And I will live. I would to worship you, my King, and I will find my strength in the shadow.
3: And they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you might pray, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And Before you sit, would you do me a favor and just turn and greet the person next to you. Give them a handshake, fist bump. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. We're glad to see you this morning. Welcome to fellowship. Some of you were sitting awful fast there. Let's get this over with. Yeah, some of you were ready for that to be done. A couple weeks ago, I I had y'all do that, and then uh, I asked who likes it in the second service. There was one guy, I locked eyes with him, and he had a look on his face at me that was like, how dare you do this to me? So thank you for indulging me in that. Um, I was on a a, a trip uh, last week and came back with a nice, little cold, so I hope I can get through uh, just with my voice this morning. But I'm Garland, glad to be with you, one of the pastors here. And if you've been with us this year, and if you haven't, I'll just kind of catch you up. But if you've been around this summer, this year, what we've been doing is we've spent the entirety of this year thus far looking at the way of the exile. We did two Old Testament narratives, Esther and Daniel, that are uh, describing uh, Israelites in exile and their character and their integrity and their zeal for Yahweh. And then we're looking at a a letter in the New Testament called 1 Peter that's written to elect exiles. And what we've seen as we've read 1 Peter, if you've been with us this summer, if you've been through at least some of the series, if you've been reading it along, is Peter is assuming that his audience is going to look different. He is assuming that they're gonna adopt the way of Jesus in such a way that they're gonna both be outrageous to the culture around them, and also incredibly compelling and attractive. It's like assumed in the letter. Over and over and over again, he will be saying things like this. Man, they're surprised, even in our passage this morning, they're surprised, the people around you, that you don't join in with them, and they're reckless and wild living. In fact, they're so surprised, and you're so different, they now are heaping abuse on you. All over the letter, the very first pages of the letter, he says, you're gonna be obedient children, so don't conform to the evil desires you used to live in, but instead, be holy. Peter is assuming as he writes this letter that his audience in the first century, and by extension, us in the 21st century studying this, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, he's assuming we will look different. He's assuming that we will be transformed, and here's the key question. Jesus followers only. Are we? Do we look different? If you've been with us all year, we've been talking about this a lot. And here we come to late July. Do you look any different? You putting it into practice? Like it's easy for me to come into this room and to nod along with the passage being taught and the sing the songs, and to, to maybe even feel inspired and go, man, I, I, yeah, that's right, I need to do that, or I need to stop doing that, I need to change this or change that. Yes, I see it. And then forget Monday. Like Sunday afternoon, I'm right back into the same ruts and habits. What about you? Like, why is it so difficult for us to really see genuine, lasting change in our lives. If you've been a Jesus follower for a long time or even for a short time, why is that? Maybe you found yourself saying, I want to bring in some good practices to my life, maybe even just some simple things, like I'm gonna get up earlier, I'm gonna, I wanna read more, I'm gonna work out more. Maybe you've said I'm gonna avoid some bad practices or some bad habits, I'm gonna, I wanna drink less, or I'm gonna be on my screen less. Maybe they've even been spiritual practices. I wanna be a person that prays every day or reads my Bible every day. We're gonna make church a priority. We're going to make community group a priority, and yet, it's so difficult when we get down to the nitty-gritty of life to find ourselves actually looking different. I'll speak for myself. Let me give you three. Three things, as we've gone through this series all year, the Holy Spirit has been impressing upon my heart and my mind and convicting me of, and yet I found it very difficult for me to make any kind of lasting change. The first is this. I know that the the Bible says, the New Testament says, my body is a temple. And I know that the diet that I eat and drink and all of that should reflect that. And yet, zebra cakes. Like, now here's the, some of you are like, zebra cakes, how bad could it, ha-? this guy's really out of hand. Um, I mean, I love zebra cakes. I know when they're in the house and when they're not in the house, okay? Um, and I know that my body is supposed to be a temple. And I really know intellectually, it's good for me to change the way that I eat. And I found it so difficult. Second one, getting a little more, a little more spiritual, we might say. I desperately want to be a person marked by prayer. I'm a pastor after all. I want that to mark my life. And yet, all year, I've been trying to implement a deep and abiding prayer life. And I get so distracted. I probably like most, I might be the worst prayer in this room. Third one. I really want to be attuned to my wife and my kids when I get home. I really want to come home and be attuned to them. I don't want to come home and find myself distracted and not listening, but you know what I find? This thing right here, so frequently my kids uh, go, daddy, 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 and I just, I just want to be entertained. I don't like being bored. And the second I feel that, I pull this out, and I want to be the kind of person that sits it on the shelf when we get home. I want to be that kind of husband, that kind of father, and yet I found it so difficult to see that kind of change take place. What about for you? See, I know intellectually all of these things. I know those are healthy things for me. I know they're healthy for my soul, and yet the knowledge of that doesn't seem to produce any change. It's like we need something deeper, and I think Piper helps us here. John Piper's a pastor up in Minnesota, and he says it this way. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. He continues, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is because you have not drunk deeply of his love to be satisfied. I started thinking, what does it look like to actually change? What does true life change require? What what is the anatomy, in other words, of life change? As I reflected on this over the last few weeks, here's what I've I've noticed, and it's going to guide us in our passes this morning. The first is our heart, our affections must be stirred. But the second one, don't miss it, your practices Your rituals and your habits, what you do with your body, with your life, they channel or direct your affections. And all of that's under the story, the meta-narrative that you tell about who you are and where you belong in this world. James Smith says it, well, he's a philosopher, he says, the way into the heart is through the body, through your rituals and practices, and the way into the body is through story. It's super easy to illustrate. Let me give you an illustration. Very, Very simple. Um. I genuinely, and many of you do too, and if you're not from the South or you don't love college football, you may not understand this, I genuinely care about what happens on a 100-yard football field with an oddly-shaped ball between 18 and 23-year-olds this fall. I actually care. My devotion is to this team. I know it's silly. I know it's crazy. And many of you have the same thing. But how did this develop in me? It wasn't because there was some knowledge of what it meant to be a, a Razorback or some knowledge of the Arkansas football program. That wasn't it at all. How did this devotion form in me? Notice it. Story, practices, and affections. The story, hearing the stories of past greats and past victories, and the championship in '64, and uh, the, what it means to be an Arkansan and how the Razorbacks are connected to that. But then the practices. It's coming. You can smell football season in the air in September. And we get family friends and food together and then we call the hogs and we the team comes through the A and we boo the other team and we play the same teams every year and we hate their coach and we hate their team and it reinforces and actually creates a devotion and a love. You see how it works? Now Peter's already warned us earlier in the letter. He said, "Watch it. Do not Be, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What's Peter saying? Every single one of us will be formed, changed, molded by something. The story and practices and affections are molded by something. What is it? See, in the Roman world, there was the story of the greatness of Rome. The Caesar. The gods of Rome, their victory and salvation and peace they bring. Sure, it's on the back of crosses and swords, but they bring victory. And it was channeled by practices. You had to honor the Caesar at temples. You had uh, statues of Caesar. There was art about Caesar. You had the, the, the Roman pantheon of gods that you had to honor. It was part of your everyday ritual that genuinely created a devotion for the greatness of Rome. That same thing can happen with our modern world with the greatness of America and American nationalism. It can be the same on both the capitalist side or the socialist side. The right side of the aisle, the left side of the aisle, it's all the same. By the way, hear me. If the story you hear is coming from Fox News or MSNBC or TikTok or YouTube, and it's the story that you're embodying, the story you're embracing, and then your practices are reinforcing that with three, four, five hours of this sort of habit every day. I go to bed with this. It's gonna create a devotion to that particular thing on both sides. Uh, David Foster Wallace is a novelist, not a Christian, but I think he captures this really well. He says The insidious thing about these things is not that they're evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings with the kind of devotion you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. But the New Testament's after your transformation. It wants to see your transformation. So how do we get there? is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to work backwards. We're going to start with story and then practices and then affections. If you have your Bibles, go First Peter chapter four. Long intro, I know, let's dive in. We're gonna get to work now and take a look and see what is the story that Peter wants to connect us to. Look at chapter four, verse seven. Here's what Peter says. He said similar things in the letter. He says, the end of all things is near. Now, this Greek verb near, uh, it's in what's called the perfect tense. There's different tenses in the Greek. Uh, verb system. And a lot of scholars think that what the perfect tense does in discourse is um, it highlights proximity or prominence in the text. It it highlights that particular action or verb. So in this case, let me retranslate it. Uh, The end of all things is very near. The end of all things is right in your face. Do you see it? Do you notice it? By the way, Peter's just channeling the very thing that Jesus had said just a few decades earlier. Remember the gospel of Mark. Mark, Jesus is presented, he's uh, baptized in the Jordan, and then the very first thing we see him doing in his public ministry in Mark's gospel is this. He goes into the streets of Galilee proclaiming a gospel message, the good news. Now, what is the gospel to Jesus? If you were to ask Jesus, what's the gospel message? I think he might say this, here it is. The gospel, he's announcing it. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Same Greek verb, same perfect tense. It's in your face, and it comes with a summons. Turn from whatever you're living for. Repent of it and pledge your allegiance, your trust, your loyalty, or the word believe this announcement. For the Romans, gospel messages were reserved for kings, Caesars, triumphs, military victories. It's earth-shattering kind of news. For the Jews, the gospel is that announcement that Yahweh is coming to inaugurate his kingdom in the world. And Jesus hits the ground and says, I've got that kind of an announcement. The king has come. Do you see him? It's here. It's in your face Peter said earlier in the letter, he is the one who was chosen before the creation of the world has now been revealed in these last times. If you were to ask Peter, what time is it on the redemption clock, the history of humanity clock, what time is it? He would say, it is the last times. This is the time where the king has been seen. The king has come. and It's the kind of king the world never could have imagined. The king has come, and he has come with a kingdom. It has been inaugurated. Yes, we await his final consummation. He's inaugurated his kingdom in the world. Aslan is on the move. Aragorn has been found, the son of Isildur. The king is here. Can I get some kind of amen? Okay? This is Peter's story, and he wants us to see it. He's done this over and over and over in the letter. Because of that story, it creates an urgency. He says, be alert. Have your antenna up. The hair on the back of your neck should be up. You should have goosebumps when you think about that story. Jesus follower in the room. And this changes everything. Look at verse 6. It changes everything. How we interact with death is now completely altered. Verse 6 he says, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. A lot of debate on this verse. If you want to dive into it on sermon notes this week, we spent some time giving some of the different views, so you can go check sermon notes out this week. But I think maybe the best way to understand it is this. The gospel message has come, and people have received it. And upon receiving it, they were maligned by their culture around them. They were judged according to the human standards around them. And some of those who heard that news have since passed away. And Peter knows this. So while they were judged according to the community around them, he says, no, no, no. But according to God, they live. Do you see what this does for Peter's confidence? Hear it, even death, even death, even suffering, it's lost its sting. Because that's the story that you're a part of. Verse five, this even changes how we respond to those, how we interact with those who would malign us. He says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The king has been inaugurated, he will settle all accounts. Justice will prevail. Trust it. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Do you live with this kind of an urgency? New Testament scholar N.T. Wright just says it in a real short, pithy way, so hear it. He says, Easter was, the resurrection of Jesus was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. The Jews expected a king to come at the end of all things. Jesus has come in the middle of history, announcing that sin and death have been defeated. It's the kind of benevolent king the world desperately needs. The time is in your face. This is the king that is conquered. Jesus followers, if if you get bored with this story, if we can go through the motions of this story, if we don't connect everything in our life to this story, may I ask you and ask me this morning, we need a recalibration. Is this not the best story? Is this not unbelievable news? Are we excited about it? I mean, I don't know what else to do. If we can't see the story, if it doesn't excite you, if that doesn't stir something in you, if you don't orient to that story, you need a recalibration and I need a recalibration. What else you living for? Is it that good? Think about it. All right, that's point one. Now, our practices. What about our practices? Remember, practices... They actually will direct your affections. Think about it. This is really how we work. Your rituals and habits channel your ultimate devotion in life. Where am I getting this in the text? Look at chapter one. I mean, chapter four, verse one. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. A couple of things we got to look at in the, the passage. We'll do them in turn. Uh, they're both, they both involve kind of grammar and word study. The first is this word arm. Um, this word arm, it's a good translation. I'm happy with it. Um, it. It's only used here in the entire New Testament. So I had to go do a little digging in the way that it was used in ancient Greek culture. And it's actually regularly used. It's not an unusual word, this word arm. Now, it most of the time uh, is, is interacting with Um, soldiers or Roman uh, military people. Hit the next slide. This thing's died on me, I think. Next one. There it is. Back in here. There it is. Now back. Yeah, right there. That's fun. Um, The word arm, it's a good translation, but I I think it's more than just, like a Roman soldier can't just take up a sword in like shorts and a t-shirt and run out into the battle. It's more than just have the armor and put it on. I Actually, the best way to translate it would be something like train up, equip, something like that. To be a Roman soldier, you've got to learn the way of being a Roman soldier. You've got to learn the tactics, and that takes some skill and some building until you get to that point. It takes months, if not years, of training. And Peter says, do that. Arm yourself with the same attitude. You don't stumble into it. Now, because I'm not a soldier, um, ancient or modern, which is a good thing, because uh, I would be the first person killed. Um, I'm very loud. I have no grace. I fall over myself a lot. So I'd be out there and they'd be like, that guy, take him out. Um, so I, it's a good thing that I'm not in the military. Uh, because I'm not, though, I, it's hard for me to relate to ancient Roman soldier practices. So I try to think of something that's a more modern equivalent. This is Mount Everest. And just by show of hands. I'm curious. Um, how many of you would consider or would like to maybe climb Mount Everest or have thought about doing it, or maybe Everest or maybe some of the other 17ers. Raise your hand high if that's you. Now, let me ask this crew. Why? What's wrong with you nine? You nine people, what's wrong with you? Like serious risk of injury, serious risk of death. Um, Apparently, the line's are really long, so it's like Branson when you get up there. That doesn't sound like fun at all. So, what are we supposed to do? Like, why would somebody want to do this? I don't understand this. Here's the thing. If I said right now, I'm gonna go climb Everest, that sounds like a fun thing. Um, let's say I flew over there and got the pass and everything in this Target shirt and these pants. I ain't gonna make it very far. I won't even get to, I won't even get to base camp like that. I looked it up. In order to, to prepare to climb Mount Everest, there's a ton of equipment that's required. Not only the equipment, you gotta know how to work it. Then there's some skills and tactics that you're gonna have to have that I definitely don't have. And then you're gonna have to prepare your body. You're, it's gonna take months of training to even be capable of climbing Mount Everest. You have to arm yourself to embody it over time. And it's gotta be daily and it's gotta be habitual or you won't see any of the change. That's the first thing we gotta notice. The second one is this, in this verse. It's because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's kind of a confusing verse. Scholars debate what it means. Again, sermon notes if you want to dive deeper. Uh, I think the best sense of it is probably this. Um, what, he ha- what Peter has in mind here is to say, when you are willing to obey Jesus to the point of even suffering, it shows that you're done with your old way of life. When it costs you, now we know you're in. Uh, I-, I had a coach growing up, and we always had these terribly grueling practices toward the end of summer and as the season was beginning to start, and several of the people would quit. They would just, I don't want to do this anymore, and several others would, they'd kind of flame out and they'd go sit over here, and I think what the coach wanted to see is who will push through all of this running and all of this lifting, who's going to do it, who's in, who will suffer, because that's who's going to start, that's who's going to play. You get it? I think that's what Peter has in mind here. When you're willing, when you are willing to suffer even, it shows that you've made that kind of commitment to Jesus. This is why I think what he says next is what he says, because I think it makes the most sense of verse one. He says, as a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for their old human desires, but rather they now live for the will of God. And he's almost sarcastic here. He says, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Uh, Literally how it reads is, you had time enough to complete, you know, that old way of living that the pagans do. Now, the list he gives, it's not often we get orgies on a sermon in church. Uh, We don't use the word carousing. Very often carousing is just like uh, lavish drinking parties, okay? All of these things, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, these are all things that marked common Roman practice. This is what it looked like to get along in the Roman world. This is how you... Um, you make friends, this is how you get good esteem with other people. Many of these things were associated with pagan temples and practices that took place at those temples. This is what you have to do to get along in Roman society. In other words, this is just normal, acceptable, everyday kind of behavior, especially for Roman citizen males. And he says, don't you see how silly it all was? Don't you see what, what you were chasing? The esteem from other people, the exhaustion of trying so hard to build your honor, to avoid shame. He goes, don't you see? You had time enough for that. You see how fruitless it was? Fellowship, Fayetteville, Jesus followers in the room only. Do you see the practices that mark just regular everyday American culture? And do you see through them? Do you see the things that at your company or your business or your team or your class or your neighborhood or whatever, this is just normal part of the business. This is just normal part of what it means to get along in this club or this uh, neighborhood or what it looks like to just normal, have the kind of things that everybody else has. Do we see through it? Do we see it as ultimately fruitless, connected to the wrong story, and going nowhere. Peter would say, you, you, you had time enough for that. But it, it's, in the end, empty. And now, fellowship, Jesus followers, are we marked with the word surprise? Do people around you, are they surprised by you? Do they go, man, that person really, really loves that Jesus thing. Or are we just kind of going along to get along? Again, Piper, he said, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is because you've not drunk deeply of his love to be satisfied, and he continues, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. Peter's not after a wet blanket for your fun in life. He's not trying to be your buzzkill. He's saying, Stop nibbling at small things and come partake in the great. Do you, do you see it? Does this mark you? Now, it's not just what we avoid. He also will tell us some things to adopt, some things to appropriate. Here they are. The end of all things is near. Therefore, it says, be alert. And of sober mind, have urgency about you. We talked about this uh, several weeks ago. Have an urgency about your life. Have an urgency about the story that you find yourself in. Love each other deeply, constantly offer hospitality without grumbling. Now, two and three, I think we see those and go, yes, be nice, we're Southerners, be nice. That's, we all get that. But this has bite to it in the ancient world. To say love one another when you've got slave, free, Jew, Gentile, all in the room, different honor, shame, kind of caste system in the Roman culture. To say love each other deeply, that's got teeth. For a Roman male citizen who now follows Jesus to stoop to sit at the same table as a slave. He says, no, you do that. That's how you love each other. When it says offer hospitality, it doesn't just mean open your home, although that's true. It means more than that. When you offered hospitality to the gathered community, the people in the church, you were marked. Like when all the cars pull up in front of your house, at community group, none of your neighbors bat an eye at that unless they blocked the driveway or something. Then, when all the people show up in your house, they went, oh, that's where the Christians hang out. Now we know where they are. See the point? That's why he says, without grumbling, costly. And he says, whatever gifts you have, teaching or encouragement or helping people see complex things and make them simple, serving, whatever it is. He goes, use it all to serve other people. That's what it looks like. Embody these practices. Put these things on. And elsewhere in Peter, he's talked about what it looks like to pray and what it looks like to study the word of God. And so I'm just gonna give you some help here. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, let me just, I'll say it more harsh than I want, then I'll give you some help. If you are a Jesus follower in the room and reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and coming together in community and coming together for church is not a regular part of your rhythm, we're not trying to force you into it, but you're not gonna be able to embody a devotion for Jesus if your practices don't match. Does that make sense? It's impossible. Here are some resources for you. Rhythms is one that Fellowship wrote, uh, actually, and so you can go get that, it's free online. If you are, we have different generations I know in here, so I'll just work it down this way. If you're a boomer, Willard, written for you. If you are an Xer, Foster, Celebration of Discipline, have fun, Millennial, Comer, they're all the same book, they're all saying the same thing, pick the one you want. If you've already read that one, then read this one or that one. If you, none of you have ever read Smith, here he is. You are what you love. It'd be a really great book for you to maybe to read before August hits. Let me just speak personally. Last Sunday, we were on this vacation, and I didn't get to come here. I didn't get to have church. And I'll just be really transparent. I found myself more susceptible to sin, both lust and and anger, just kind of my, my frustration all this past week, because I wasn't here with you, you last week. I didn't have the Bible taught. I didn't get to sing about Jesus. I didn't get my heart recalibrated. So as we hit the fall, where, what, what are the practices that drive your affections? Is church a priority? Is small group a priority? Is reading your Bible a priority? These, these aren't... Uh, Dead ancient legalistic practices. This is what channels our affections. Now, here's the deal. I would hate to end here. Here's why. If we ended here, my fear would be that you would hear this as a a little bit harsh for Garland, and it's a go do better. Go work it out. Be better. Now, we need to all look in the mirror, but that's not how I want to to leave you here our affections must be stirred. Notice our entire passage began with a therefore. Therefore. For me, that's a transition word. In my Bible, I double underline transition words. Therefore. Can I just say this to you? Hear me? Jesus followers and non-Jesus followers. The Christian commands always follow a therefore. It's not do this, obey this, follow these rules, therefore, God will love you. Here's the rules do it well, therefore, we welcome you to church. And if you've heard that message for most of your life, if you grew up with that message, that ain't it. It's always because of what Jesus has done, therefore. You see the difference? Everything we've been talking about has been on the backs of a therefore. Therefore, since Christ suffered. It's connecting us back to last week. In fact, Peter does this so often, it's almost as if every command he gives in this letter is rooted to a therefore. What did we see last week? If you weren't here, let me remind you. Because Christ also suffered once on behalf of sin. By the way, the one in the right before God for the ones who were not in the right. Here's what he means. Because of our selfishness, brokenness, Relationships that we've hurt, things that we've done to other people, things that we've thought, ways that we've betrayed people, we've infected this world with all sorts of brokenness. And it doesn't take much proof to show that to anyone in this room, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. But Jesus has come, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might take that brokenness on himself and cl- cleanse humanity from its brokenness, cleanse humanity from its filth, that filth applied to him on the cross that we might walk in newness and holiness. Do you see it? He was marginalized so that we could be brought back to God. He was dishonored so you and I could be honored. This is where our affection has to begin. He says, he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, you know, the proclamation goes out that our king has come, and he now rules and reigns. When it says he sits at the right hand of the father, what that means is he, doesn't, he didn't leave us, but now he rules this world as the true king, the kind of king the world desperately needs, who dies on behalf of his people, who serves his people, who washes their feet. Do you see this, king? How do we change? As we go into the fall, story, practices, affections. I'm going to give you a question today. Here it is. Led by the Spirit, having heard the word taught today, this week I will do blank. What does that look like for you? And then next week when we come back, if you said whatever that blank was today and we didn't, maybe we should reteach this again and again and again and again. See how it works? We're not passive agents in this. Jesus means for us to follow him. Let me give you a couple that did this uh, here in our own family of faith. Um, this is uh, Justin and Laura Ray, and they were in one of our small groups a few uh, last fall, and uh, they did the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. and Justin sent me his journal, kind of journal entry after that season. Here's what he said. He says, I have no one to blame but myself. I've been ignoring the Holy Spirit for years, a passive ignoring, like how I ignore the person who sits next to me in the airport. I added so many things to my life without first giving them to the Lord that I became too busy to hear him speak. All of the things I filled my time with were socially acceptable, even good by the world standards. They were activities I added to bring me more happiness and to fill my time. For 22 years, I've been good enough. And I've had moments of letting the Spirit lead me. He so said, How am I good enough? Well, I was given the Lord just enough of my life to stay in line or, you know, ahead of the average Christian. Just enough of my time, just enough of my finance, just enough of my character, just enough of my talents. Isn't that right? And he says, Wrong. The Lord wants to transform me. What about you? this week, what does that look like for you? I don't want to leave you with an action step. Earlier I asked you, why would anyone climb Everest, why? I think it's pretty simple, it's the view. People that have done it say it's unbelievable, there's nothing like it. It's a view like any other. It's mesmerizing, it's captivating, it's brilliant, the view. So followers of Jesus in the room this morning, Can I ask us to get our eyes up on the view? Here's how we close. I love this quote from Lewis. If you've been around here, you've probably heard me use it before. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Can we get our eyes up? This morning, Jesus gave us a ritual. He gave us a practice to remember his body and his blood, broken for us and poured out for us. We're gonna pass communion this morning. If you are not a Jesus follower in the room, just pass it on by. It's just bread and juice. But for us, it's a way to remember him. Hold those elements, and in a little bit, we'll do our confession, assurance of pardon, and we'll take it together. Let's get our eyes up this morning to see our king. Story, and our hearts might be stirred to see him. Jesus, we pray as our king to you. Father, thank you for sending your son on behalf of sin, the righteous or the unrighteous, that you might bring us back to God, Jesus. And you are the good king. You are the compelling vision for our life. Nothing else is close. So help our lives be reoriented to it, even the taking of this ancient practice this morning. Reorient, recalibrate our hearts, to see your goodness and your grace, we pray in your name, Jesus, as our King, amen.
1: i Oh hi King
0: and sing church sing it out oh God be my everything oh
1: God day or by weeping thy presence
3: Before we take communion, um, let's just pray together. This prayer that we read every week confess together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. An ancient practice. His body that was broken for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. Let's take. Remember him. And the juice, the wine. So this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Hear it for the forgiveness of sin. When you drink of it, remember me, he says. Church, let's take it. Remember. Now, we're not done. Remember. Believe the good news, church. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. We have the better story. Let's get our eyes, our vision on him and him alone. If you need prayer, Right through those doors, up the stairs, love to pray with you. Fellowship favor, we love you. See you next week.